Hi, family. It is the last episode of the year. I'm so happy we made it. And before we get started with today's show, I want to ask you all to become Patreon supporters. You can start as low as $3 a month. I am deeply, deeply grateful for y'all's generosity and support for this show all year. Thank you for rocking with me. All right, let's get into it. everyone you are tuned in for the last episode of the most challenging year we have all endured i think this year has revealed to us the state of not just this nation but really also the state of our collective imaginations what are we willing to fight for what dreams are worthy and we've also had to adapt and practice and flex the muscle of resilience probably more times than we would have wished to but I feel like today's guest is, it just feels so fitting to wrap up the year um, with someone who I think their ability to write and dream and invite longings is always just on point. And I know that in the legacy of Octavia Butler, they're always challenging us to just dream more. Um, today's guest is Adrian Marie Brown. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi. So, Adrian, as we're wrapping up the year, you actually just dropped a book. I did. <laughs> <laughs> the timing, the timing is, is actually really appropriate. Um, mm. And I think, you know, I'm sure many people who have come across your work maybe know it solely through social media, maybe mm-hmm. have not been through a process with you or have not had sessions facilitated by you or might not yeah. have sort of movement relationship with you, um, which I think is an interesting dynamic, kind of like the, yeah. the multiple worlds colliding. Yeah. Um, but I am curious, kind of like, what were the noticings, especially coming out of your sabbatical, that really kind of gave birth to We Will Not Cancel Us? Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for having me and getting to the root. I, um, hmm. The things I feel like I was really noticing were um, the plethora. Like, it just felt like everyone was calling someone out or every time anyone's name was mentioned, it was like, well, you know, they, you know, there was like this sort of gossipy energy. Like, you know, they did this or they did this or they did that. And um, with sort of an expectation that I would, I would somehow dispose of, that person or I was getting a lot of requests uh, that felt like asking me to dispose of people um, in different ways. And, and I, you know, I don't know if I would have done this book if I hadn't just come off a sabbatical. I felt like um, my perspective was shifted, you know, so I was like, oh, this is not just like in this org or this movement or this space. This is like, it's like a wildfire throughout all of our movement spaces is that folks are um, not navigating conflict clearly and not clear on what like boundaries might look like with people who have um, engaged in abusive behavior, engaged in harmful behavior. Um, 
and and that there was a real sense of from people where it was like we're not we're not clear on how to fight fair. That was the that was the language that came, you know, it's like we're not fighting fair. <laughs> we're not clear on how to fight fair. And the question I kept finding myself in was how does this align with our abolitionist uh, frameworks and declarations and commitments and practices? Like, are we practicing abolition? Are we practicing transformative justice? Um, and yeah, I guess the other thing is I had this feeling of like, how does movement need to feel in order to be the kind of space that can grow? And all the spaces that I was looking at or being called into or, you know, um, being asked to support or rescue people in, all of it was like, gosh, this feels dangerous. It feels... Um, out of alignment with, you know, it feels like there's a lack of alignment between what we're dreaming and how we're being, what we're practicing now. So, yeah, so I was like, you know, and and I think because I'd been on sabbatical and I've been shifting, you know, in order to be a facilitator for years, you know, I've had a lot of strong politics, a lot of strong opinions, but I really feel like for the most part, I have, um, tried to aim for a neutral location and not not taking up a space that could be read as like a critique of this or whatever, besides the stuff that, you know, it's like we're all fighting against white supremacy. I can speak on that, you know, but talking about internal movement dynamics is is different. It's a different risk. And so I, I was aware of the risk, you know, I was like, this could impact people wanting to bring me to support their groups, you know, um, if I, if I take this stance and, um, it felt worth it to me to, to at least call the question. And it was scary, you know, it was a scary piece to write. It was a scary set of questions to ask. And, um, and I feel like the fear was well warranted by the response too. you know, I was right. like, oh yeah, like people are really angry with me, um, for some of the things that, that, that they said, um, that I said, some of the ways that I said what I said, so there was like two levels of it. You know, some folks were upset about the language I used and some were upset about the actual perspective. And it took a while to like parse through all that. And even in the response though, I felt the presence of the pattern that I was speaking of, right? Which is like, you know, I'm someone who has dedicated my entire life to trying to um, support movements to be as deep and as wide and as functional as possible. And um, there's never, there's really never been a period of time where I was like, what do I want? And that comes first. Like it's been, it's been so dedicated to movement needs and, and like, how can I best serve? And the quickness with which people were like, fuck you. Right. I'm like, okay, that right there. I was like, even if there's a legit critique, which I, there were legit critiques and I was able to hear them. Right. I got on phone calls. I had long emails. I had long conversations with people and they were respectful critiques of like, hey, you are someone dedicated to movement and we wanna be in a real conversation with you about this political difference or about the tone you took or like things like that. But there were so many people who are also in movement who I felt immediately disposable to. And I was like, what is that? Like, why, why does that come so fast? Yeah. Ooh, I mean, I mean, I'll share just, Personally, yeah. I think, you know, I think 
and and I'm speaking specifically about movement abolition. Yeah abolitionist organizers because i think you know there's many many people that probably the blog post and the book will reach right that maybe might not fit that group yeah but i think you know in my own experience with my own political homes we and these are people i deeply love like yes. deep 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 camaraderie um and have been in the process of sort of evolving our politic right like what is it that we believe what is yeah. it that we want for years and when shit hits the fan <laughs> which it does maybe exactly um there's been there is this tendency mm -hmm. there is this tendency right of oh i don't fuck with you no more or oh i don't i don't know i don't know about that you know yeah and not and not just that i think you know even my own experience with the wildfire project right that yeah. is dedicated to supporting um organizations through their own yes. sort of tendencies around this and i've learned a lot right because yeah. i think until you're in practice certain revelations don't come up right Absolutely. um i think if before wildfire you would have asked me are you a direct communicator i would say absolutely i'm a gemini <laughs> um like you know <laughs> and 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 i've learned that actually the tendency and the shape that shows up is oh yes i'm a gemini and i'm also very protective of my relationships and okay. in that sort of protective nature i will be indirect yeah. i will actually just not say certain things that actually yeah. are making okay. me feel type of way or that actually just have to be teased out in the group yeah. right um and what happens when there's that shape over years yeah that's right <laughs> and when then you have the outside facilitators and it's kind of you know the the can is open and you're like oh shit, we deep in it that's right <laughs> and i will say that like you know it's not like i came back from sabbatical and like everything is different it was like no this has been building for a long time um, and that's why like it in the book i wanted to uplift it like I've been writing about this for a long time. Like I've been writing and thinking about this for a long time. So I included two other pieces that were, that kind of span over the last five, seven years because it was, I was like, I've been seeing this. We've been um, uh, turning on each other and it's trained into us to do so. And, and I see it very much tied to that inability to have direct and principled conflict or principled struggle in real time. Because as a facilitator, I have seen this many times where people wanted to pull me to the side and tell me how someone was messing up and what needed to happen and everything. And then when I would make room, you know, okay, great. Now we're sitting here and we're a group of humans and there's some tension, there's some conflict, let's make room for it. I would see how even when people are trying to speak directly at it, it was like, um, trying to climb up a soapy mountain or something. And it's just like a, yeah. sliding back down, sliding back to something that feels more comfortable and less direct. And so, it, it, you know, and I was like, as facilitator, it's not my job to break the ice or to turn and be like, you're, you know, um, being a misogynist. Like, I'm like, that needs to come up at the level of, of the peer-to-peer -peer relationship. And so what I, what I picked up on was, we're having a struggle with some of that direct conflict and then the internet allows us to do it in an indirect way, right? In a way that feels safer at a distance. Um, and then and then the questions I, I fall into there, I'm like, oh, I don't even mind, you know, and I say this in the book, I'm like, there are, there are times when the call out is the strategy we need to use, right? right. 
there are times when the power dynamics are such that like we can't be in that conversation where someone is just like, I am refusing to be accountable. And, and there has to be a way to bring that to a stop. So this wasn't really like, I'm trying to intervene on all call outs. It's about um, how do we get clearer about when that is the right move and worth the risk of exposing ourselves to the state, worth it, worth the impact it's going to have on this person's ability to recover because we currently don't have a transformative justice world. So we don't have, you know, we're dreaming and we're trying to create that, but we have a world where once you get a mark, that mark stays on you forever and, and some people will never forgive you. And, you know, so I'm like, we should use that sparingly um, because we have not evolved to a place where someone can be like, yeah, I fucked up. I fucked up in a really bad way. And I'm in my journey, which is going to take years to be accountable for that thing. But I will be, you know, eventually I will have reached that place. I'll do what I'm asked. I will learn. I will figure it out. And then I want to be able to come back and, and be here. And we don't currently have the conditions in which that's the norm. And I think we will eventually. It might be a post-nationalist reality, right? We might have to have totally different borders and structures and systems. Um, but I think we also have to be willing to think that big and that long, right? It's like, this is a temporary condition. Rome was a temporary condition, right? It felt like this is the empire and it's everywhere. And then it fell. And you know, there are revolutions there, things fall, things come apart. The USSR, you know, when I was growing up was like, that is the thing. Now it's like, no, it's a billion small places that are trying to figure out their own relationship to culture, economy, power, governance. Right. And when I think about what we're up to in the US, we're in a pivotal moment, right? Mm -hmm. Historically, where it's very clear that there are, are vastly different politics um, trying to cohabitate in the same space, which it's not even like, oh, let's try to find the middle way. It's like, these are literally pulling in opposite directions. Right. And I keep thinking about that. It's like, are we trying to keep pulling people back who are deeply, deeply committed to a punitive, supremacist, colonial, you know, anti-Earth worldview, right? Or, or do we say like, secede, <laughs> you know? <laughs> let's call it, let's split, let's figure it out. And, um, I will say that's one of the things that I think I bring to my facilitation all the time is like, this relationship does not have to continue. This organization right. does not have to continue. If we can get comfortable with, sometimes we don't like each other. Sometimes we're not good work partners. Sometimes an organization serves its purpose in three years or five years. Um, capitalism tricks us into thinking everything must be growing and sustaining and perpetuating forever. Mm -hmm. And we have to figure out a way for immortality for our organizations. And I think some of those things contribute to us not getting good at conflict and not being able to recognize when it's time to walk away and create boundaries and shift structures. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there. There's so much there. And and I mean, first off, I'm, I'm grateful for all those offerings and noticings because I think, first off, I'll say me being in process has taught me. Yeah, I think it, it, it teaches us our own tendencies, even if we're solid organizers, even if we have really good politics yeah. and even if we're quote unquote good people. Yeah. And there there are so many ways in which we embody our trauma, which literally in, enable us from actually being able to 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 be in this, be in, in principle struggles, right? Because I think a lot of us 
we a lot of us know what principled struggle is and i but i think a part <laughs> of it is how does it feel that's right and i, I think great. the times that i've been in deep principled struggle i would say it doesn't feel the best right like <laughs> my throat <laughs> my throat is super tight and yeah. i'm just like yo am i about to start crying like it is yeah. you know it is it is so physical that's right because i think for for me and i think for a lot of us it's it's not something where you know it's not familiar familiar terrain right that's right like it it is how do i make clear requests to folks that might not be received with open arms yeah even if these are, if these are comrades of mine how do i tell people hey this shit that you did made me feel unsupported that's right that's right you know, i wasn't able to see the value of my work because of your actions in X, Y, and Z. That's, That's really right. hard. It's really to, hard. And this is, I feel like, you know, that I'm, I, I want to be mindful that the example I'm using is really, you know, is not comparable to actions of abuse, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I really appreciate that, you know, principal struggle. I think for years I was longing for such a clear definition or longing for someone to just articulate this, like, because people would be like, that's not principled. That doesn't have integrity. That doesn't have this. That doesn't have that. And I remember being in a room being, you know, with uh, in Tanya Lee um, on a facilitation team and she just broke it down. She was like this, you know, Mark said this and, and like, this is what we mean by principle struggle. And I just want to share it with, with people who are listening. Right. Principle struggle is when we are struggling for the sake of something larger than ourselves. We are being honest and direct with compassion. We are responsible for our own feelings and actions. We seek deeper understanding before issuing our responses, right? We ask questions, right? We click through, we read the article, we read the report. We make sure we actually understand what's being said before we start to critique or argue. Um, we consider that the, the place that we're in or the group may or may not actually be the right container for what we have to bring. And um, I see that happening a lot where folks are like, I'm going to bring my whole self here. And this organization is not legit unless it makes room for my whole self. Mm. And it's like every single space you enter is not actually your political home and meant to be all the things for you, right? right. Um, some spaces are network spaces. Some spaces are alignment spaces. Some spaces are united front spaces where mm -hmm. you're bringing together a ton of political homes and trying to figure out how do we move something larger than, than any of our singular campaigns or issues. Um, and I think that to me, that's a really beautiful one to dance with in the tension of, okay, but we have identity politics. We understand that the personal is political and still may not be the right container. How do we hold all that? And then the last piece of it is like, what about side conversations, which I love as a facilitator. It's like side conversations should deepen our understanding and help us come back and shape the container, you know, to, to suit everyone better, not check us out of the process. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things I see happen so often is folks dip to the side and they start having a conversation and the conversation is imbued with cynicism and hopelessness, actually. It's like, fuck this group, fuck these people, fuck this process, fuck yeah. this. And I'm like, oh, like that fuck this energy is totally legit, but how do we bring the essence of that back? And I think that's something I've been working hard on is being like, I have to practice getting honest with myself and out of my mouth with other people. I have to practice getting honest. And most of us don't wanna acknowledge all the ways in which we contort the truth to make it work for people, to protect our own need to belong, right? 
um, that were like, I need to be part of this group. I need to be part of belonging or I need to play a certain role. Like my role is always this. My role is always that. And it's hard. It's hard to say, um, I don't agree with what's happening here. I actually have a dispute. I don't think we're in alignment with our values. And then it gets harder when there's abuses of power, right? So trying to be honest, you know, I've watched mm -hmm. rooms full of extremely powerful people struggle to name that someone in the group is causing harm. And, um, you know, I'm like, okay, I want us to get clinical about what's happening in those moments because we don't want to dispose the person who's causing harm, but we also don't want to dispose our very real and legit feelings and emotions and, and the structures and processes that are being impacted by that. It's how I see patriarchy continue. It's how I see white supremacy continue. It's how I see um, these things get into us. We don't even realize that we are becoming complicit in practicing them. Like we allow people to continue to cause these harms. And so principal struggle to me is like, ah, there's actually a model and it requires me to be brave and vulnerable, but it also requires all of us to do that and all of us to be willing to really hear what comes back. You know, I, when I put this out, then I was in a phase of principle, principled struggle where I was mm -hmm. just like, okay, I said what I believe. I'm hearing some other things. And it sharpened me. It was generative. It was really generative, right? Like, I'm like, oh, I think this, the book that actually came out is the necessary intervention. It's the, the intervention that I was trying to make. And I think it works much better because of all the pushback and the shaping and the critique and the struggle, right? I, people were honest and direct with me while still holding my humanity, right? People took responsibility for how things made them feel and they allowed me to have room to be feeling what I was feeling. People got in there with me and said, we're trying to build a movement that can change everything. That's what we're dedicating ourselves to. So that helped me get out of my own ego. That was like, I'm a writer. I wrote it the way it needed to be written. You know, whatever that thing is, it's in you or you get defensive. <laughs> I'm like, who cares? I know better words. I know other ways to say this. The thing that I'm trying to get us to is what, how do we actually practice abolition? How do we be the, the futurist people that we, you know, that society that we believe has no prisons and has no policing and has all these other ways of dealing with things? How do we become the living embodiment of that? as movement leaders who commit to abolition. And you know, folks are like, well, what about the worst? I'm like, yes, exactly. What do we think happens with the worst? How do we wanna operate? We have to answer that question if we want other people to continue to follow us down this trail of defunding the police and other massive calls that we're making that are legitimate calls. We have to be in practice in order for that path to continue to unfold in a way that people know they can walk down it. Yeah, I think one of the one of the really really central pieces that you offered is is how important our sense of belonging is, right? For just yes. like our humanity. Like we we deeply deeply need that and long for that even if it's not being explicitly articulated or if we're not thinking of it that way. And I think the whole call out and and, mm -hmm. and kind of the dynamic it it shakes that up, right? Because I yeah. I've seen it happen in an organization where it's you know 
my belonging was threatened because X person made this decision that has yeah. now put the organization or collective That's in right. hot waters. That's right. And you know, they, they threatened my belonging, right? I finally find a safe collective where I can be myself, where I can That's have my right. politics and this person, you know, they fucked up. <sighs> or the other way around, I've been on the other end. Where I'm like, <laughs> where I'm like I would never, you know, it's like, I would never do something to, to break our, our thing, but we live in a world that does not agree with our beliefs. And we should expect that we're gonna That's receive right. constant pushback. We we don't live in a safe world, right? Even if we create our little mini safe spaces, we don't live in a safe world. No. And I can't be responsible yeah. because we're now unsafe as as a large organization or collective. And, and, and I think have you hard. come across the brave space model? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think I th I I think that's more of what of what we should be sort of yeah. invoking. I felt um, like it helped me so much because for you know before I came across it, I would be facilitating people like, yeah, we want to create a safe space, and I was like, you know, I have tried every kind of thing. I've bent over backwards. I have like done all the things I can figure out how to make the safe space safe, but because we are living embodiments of the toxic culture in which we live. Um, that doesn't happen. Those things come up, they're coming through us. So it's not like it's outside the door. And when I came across the Brave Space model from Mickey Scott Bay Jones was the first place that I saw it. It was the, the poem that she wrote. I was like, this is what I actually want. I want spaces where people are like, I risk being myself and being in the tensions or conflicts or the ways that that might rub up against other people, believing that we shape each other. We're going to shape each other. So that piece of brave space feels important to me. But then I think there's also, you know, folks are like, but what about like literally keeping an abuser outside of the organization or outside of this gathering or outside of the room? And I think that that's, that's to me the learning edge that we're on as, as movements is there's so much confusion that happens right now where it's like, are we allowed to set a boundary? What about the gaslighting that happens? What about, you know, so often I mean, some of the people who are on the internet causing the most ruckus around cause, calling everyone harmful and abusive are actually the most abusive people. And they are gaslighting the crap out of everyone. And so it, to me, I'm just like, okay, like, this is really murky water. And so we have to have something inside of us that we're cultivating that allows us to understand um, if I'm committed to abolition, how do I wanna operate in this moment? How do I, even with a gaslighting abusive person, can I still see their humanity? And if I can't, can I make sure that they connect with someone else who can? <laughs> right? yeah. And this is one of the things I'm really thinking of. I literally am, you know, in my mind, I keep coming up with these visions of what a societal structure could look like. It's, it's fairly small, you know, the societal structure in which we can actually be accountable to all the other members of it is not huge, right? So we have these huge, right? We have a huge nation, but inside of that, our organizations grow beyond accountability scale. Like we haven't mm -hmm. learned how to scale up that deep relational accountability. And so I keep thinking about, I'm like, how do we do this? Um, which to me is a much richer space than we just do it by cutting people out. And one of the things I talk about in the book and often is if we, if we keep calling out and canceling and calling out and canceling and eventually everyone's name is on the bad list then we will have a very, very, very small pocket of people who are very scared to actually grow, change, and learn in public. And that's not interesting. 
right? That's not how we figure out a way to the future is by a lot of people who are too timid to stand out, too timid to move against what the group is thinking, too timid to actually be revolutionary and radical, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because there's such a small box of what is considered okay behavior. So I've been pointing people to Prentice's work. You know, Prentice Hemphill um, wrote about innocence and writes, you know, writes and thinks about innocence and belonging and boundaries. And I think that so much of the thinking that Prentice is doing is a revelation that feels deeply connected with anything that I'm thinking and writing and doing. Yes, y'all had a lovely episode a few months back. That yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was lovely. I I want to. I guess there's two points that I want to tease out from from yeah. what you just said. I'm really interested to hear more about boundaries because I think boundaries, accountability, yeah, and many other terms are are terms that have that have almost lost their meaning, <laughs> or at least have lost their context. Right? We see them used all the time, used very casually, informally, and kind yep. of like in loose ways that you know I sometimes have a hard time discerning I'm like what it wait what it what like what does it even look like yeah I'm like hold up and I know that that part of of the book is also you offering your intention around yeah discerning the difference between harm abuse or the examples like I was giving earlier right where it's more of like you know we're we're not aligned right now we're not in support of one another curious to hear yeah. maybe starting off a little bit with the distinctions of, of these terms and, and how you're thinking right. through them um, after you know the cycle feedback and and yeah well because you know I think this is <laughs> this is one of the interesting things about having a platform that grows beyond people who know you right mm. <clears throat> is I often feel I'm still writing for people who I'm like you know y'all know me like all I do is mediate people through, um, you know, uh, harm conditions. All I, you know, I've spent, anyone who knows me knows that I've literally spent the last year helping people move out of really abusive conditions, like physically, like driving and flying and like moving, (laughs) you know? I'm like, y'all know me, but I'm like, oh no, you don't know, you don't know that this is their framework. So I think that this piece around making those distinctions, for me, I was like, I know some of these distinctions, I, I, I'm trying to understand it all. And in the process of doing the book, I started looking around for like, is, is this listed or named somewhere that I can like easily refer to? And I couldn't find, I found different things that like went really deep into abuse um, and really deep into conflict. But a lot of the other pieces were not like spelled out that I think also happened in movement. So the pieces that I was able to pull out were, sometimes someone is making a mistake. It's a legitimate mistake and it's a moment to learn. And so I was like, okay, that's not a situation where a call out is, is the move. It's like, help that person see, like you've made this mistake and you know, can you adjust? Sometimes there's a misunderstanding, right? And this is where the seeking more data really helps. And I see this happen all the time as a facilitator where someone says something and then someone else is like, did you just say? And I'm like, they didn't actually just say that, but you're already fully reacting to what you perceived or what you thought you heard. And like in that moment, slowing it down and being like, can you find another way to articulate what you said, right? Can you repeat back what you said? That active listing stuff can help there. So the misunderstanding, so there's mistake, misunderstanding. Then there's sitting in a contradiction. And I think we take contradictions out on each other. So 
most of us in movement space right now are attached to a nonprofit and nonprofits are fed by philanthropy, which is run by the uber rich who are not, um, who do not benefit necessarily from us actually changing anything, right? Mm -hmm. They just try to get the tax write-offs that they need. So that is a, a deep contradiction because a lot of the people in movement are like, well, I'm an anti-capitalist paid by a capitalist with my healthcare from a capitalist, right? There, this is a contradiction. And so people fall all kinds of ways inside of that. And sometimes it's like, fuck it, we don't wanna be a nonprofit. And that that's also a move. And we don't have a lot of huge, highly successful, large scale experiments of people who are able to fully avoid that connection, right? Um, there are some, there are some groups that are fully member funded, member done. I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of cooperatives and other models, but I see a lot of people not willing to take the risk of like practicing the other thing, just wanting to yell at each other about the contradiction that they're in and, and sort of one up each other in it. So mistakes, misunderstandings, contradictions, and then there's actual conflict, right? We actually feel really differently about a decision we need to make. We need to get in it. And the goal there is always, how do we make this a generative conflict, one that actually grows our potential, grows our capacity? Then we move into harm, right? And to me, the distinction between conflict and harm, conflict is like, we have two different positions. Neither of us is trying to hurt each other. Neither of us is mindlessly operating in ways that hurt each other. We're actually just, we're battling, right? We're battling trying to fight for which direction we're gonna move in. Harm is, can be intentional, can be unintentional, but it's where it's not a matter of having different beliefs or opinions. It's where something about the way, the way someone believes or acts is actually taking away from the dignity, the safety, or the belonging of another person. And this is where, you know, I think you see the memes go around sometimes where it's like, um, we're not, you know, it's not just like, let's just all get along, but you're racist, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, that doesn't work because racism is, causing harm. It's not just a different, you know, so I said, well, my, in my opinion, black right. people are inferior, <laughs> right? Like, no, like, because then you structure an entire society that causes harm. Um, and, and trying to get people to understand that the same way where, and I think most of the things when we're in movement space and we speak about harm are actually behaviors of someone who believes themselves to be supreme, either unintentionally or intentionally enacting that supremacy. Right, so being racist, being transphobic, being ableist, being patriarchal, right? What's actually, when we untuck, like what happened in here? There was an abuse of, of um, there was an abuse of that uh, aspect of your identity, right? You were not being mindful about the fact that you, I think of supremacy as a sickness, right? So your sickness took over your behavior. And then to me, then, the place where I was like, okay, and then abuse. What is abuse actually? And abuse is when there is an active use of power over another person to try to control and manipulate their behavior, right? To try to make them do what it is you want them to do. And it might be sexually, it might be structurally, right? This is where we see, oh, the executive director of this thing abused their power. And in that abuse of power, they were trying to make all of us go along towards something that was unjust or something that was out of alignment with what we believed or um, something that continuously made them feel big while others felt small, right? So 
I think the murky territory happens the most between those last three, right? Are we, are we in a space where we're actually in harm? Are we in a conflict or is this actually an act of abuse? Mm -hmm. And I think harm can be mutual, right? People can be mutually harming each other. I don't think abuse can actually be mutual. And I think, um, you know, I'm willing to, again, be in this conversation with people and be like, well, you know, what if one person has one kind of power and another has a different kind of power? Can they be, you know, uh, using those different powers against each other? Um, I'm like, we can talk about that. But in, in the experiences I've had and in most of the people that have actually held through things, the abuses, it's a it's a interactive dynamic, but one person is in an abuser role and the other person is really in a role of receiving and sometimes enabling, but receiving and participating in, in that abuse cycle. And um, so when you lay those things out, then I look at how do we as facilitators and mediators and people who are holding each other in movement start to be more clear about those distinctions and then more discerning about what are the responses based on these distinctions. If it's a conflict, misunderstanding, if it's a mistake or a contradiction, I think it can be really held in mediation. And so I am like gathering and trying to uplift as many mediators as I can. If mm. it's in the realm of harm and abuse, then it might be a community accountability process. There might be something, you know, it might be like, y'all need couples therapy, <laughs> you need some mm. other things. But I think that's when it's like, okay, you need professional support and what is it? Um, whereas with the others, I'm like, this could happen at a kitchen table. This could happen with just a neutral party. It could happen with a friend helping, can, you know, I've done that before. I'm like, friend, <laughs> can you help us hear each other? Cause we're not, the stakes are low enough that we can, we can ask for help in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really, really rich and helpful distinctions that, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I kind of just, I'm like reflecting on them cause I'm like, Hmm, like, yeah. In, there in might the be more, right? There might be more. Yeah. Like, I, I really feel like I'm spelunking in a cave. Like, I'm just trying to understand <laughs> what all is in here. Yeah, because I think, you know, and, and I don't think this is just unique to movement, but I think, you know, in in, in the frameworks of binaries, it's like, the, sometimes I'm like, everything, like, sometimes people are like, oh, everything's harmful. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think these definitions feel feel really right and and kind of like an invitation of like all right how do we how do we name what is actually happening here and exactly. how do we not over exaggerate or or yeah. the opposite right or under understate what is what the, you know the existing dynamics are I really um, like that and I'll just say one quick point on that which is I've been talking about this too is that we don't want to be developing movements of of competing fragilities right where we just are like no, I'm the most hurt. No, I'm the most hurt. No, I'm the, you know, I'm like, we we live in a very, very toxic cauldron. And even though it hurts us in different ways, that hurt is such a consistent thing. And we can galvanize and move to stop it rather than competing with each other about who has more. Right, 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 right. I think constantly thinking around, like, we do need to deepen and expand our capacities to actually build a movement of millions of people global yeah. solidarity all the things that we we want i do want to pivot really quick as we start okay. to wrap up i know i know one of the reflections you you shared is having an ever growing platform that simply quite frankly exists beyond the people that you have relationship with right, That's right. 
beyond people that you can track, be, you know, like you just don't know who's on the other side, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, back to this point of like boundaries, what does it mean? And and I love mm -hmm. Prentice's definition and what they offer because yeah. I've been constantly thinking around like, okay, this distance, right, that we need so that, you know, I can I can exist in my dignity and my agency <laughs> and same for you. Yes. That feels really complicated when yeah. you are existing on one end and there's a digital platform with like hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> on the other right and That's i right. and i know with, with with the call outs and even i'm sure probably with the feedback to to your work around this like people demand accountability of folks that they're actually not in relationship with and that feels really hard right um That's right but i am curious kind of yeah. beyond, beyond call outs kind of how are you navigating this ever-growing platform, right? This yeah, having so great. many eyes, ears, all the things yeah. on you. Um, and I would say probably especially after pleasure activism. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I think I'm doing better each day, but it definitely took a while to adjust. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I think that like the only people who really want to be celebrities um, are are not, it's like either you have not experienced celebrity or you don't have something else that drives your life, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have like a passion or something that drives your, your life. I think if you end up famous for something that you love doing, right? Which I, is for me, I'm like, I love facil, you know, I, I laugh about this because I'm like, I love facilitating and I love writing, neither of which are like destiny of fame things, right? You're like, I don't know, you know, I was like, I, it, facilitation is not a fame inducing role and, um, and writing can be, but for a lot of writers, it's like, you know, people know you when your book comes out or whatever, but then it's not this like uh, obsession, right? Um, so I, I've, it's taken me a while to acknowledge or accept that like, this is hap this is real. This is, you know, people, more people than I can really track, have a sense that I'm alive, have a sense of what I do and have a sense that like, I owe them something mm -hmm. more. And um, the way I think I navigate it, you know, that boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself simultaneously. That's the quote from Prentice. And it's really helped me because I'm like, I love humanity in general at large and there are some humans I come across that make that difficult. And so those humans, I keep at a distance, right? Like if people show up in my page and they're like hateful towards me, you know, I have people who show up and they're like, I wanna give you death threats or I wanna, um, you know, really put a conservative politic into the comments. I really wanna, um, you know, which I'm like, to me, a conservative politic in this moment in time means you are also committing yourself to racism and transphobia and homophobia and other things. And I'm like, that's just not, that's not on my page. Go do that on your own page, right? That those, the internet is large and we don't have to be around each other. So there's that level of like, I just easily block people who I'm like, you're coming um, with a destructive intention towards me and I, you, you shall not prosper here, <laughs> right? But then <laughs> I think the harder thing has definitely been, you know, it's, it's the way people that you think are friends or comrades, right? When those people start to speak about you or, you know, comment about you or critique you or whatever, as if you can no longer see, or as like you no longer will come across it or hear. And, you know, people pay attention on my behalf to stuff like that. And we'll just be like, you know, um, 
if you ever want to know, let me know. Because <laughs> I'm like, people don't really come directly to me with that. And the summer was, in some ways, it was hard, but it was also really refreshing because I was like, oh, thank God people are telling me they don't like something I did to my face. You know, like yeah. I can handle that. And it burns something off in you too. Because you're like, I can't live my life trying to please a bunch of people I've never met. I can only be in right relationship with people I'm actually in relationship with. And so my inner circle has deepened and I have invested so much more in it over this past, say, five years. Um, I know exactly who I can call and who can hold me as a whole person. So I don't try to expect that from the internet. You know, sometimes I'll see people struggling with that. Like Cardi B is like, you guys, I'm like, Cardi, like, they're not, that's not, gonna, they're was going to happen, right? Also, because we live in a culture that is, is right, this, this um, bring people up to bring them down is the, that's the move, right? It's like, we really like to lift people up and then destroy them. And especially mm -hmm. black women, right? We're like, oh, like, look at that black woman shining, like, she must be taken out. And so I feel aware of all those things. I've watched it happen to tons and tons of comrades and friends. And I feel regret that there's times when I saw that happening to people and I didn't speak up. I didn't jump in to the fray and say, no, actually that person is fucking incredible and they're a hard worker and they don't deserve to be treated this way. They do not deserve to be attacked. And so that's something I wanna use my platform for more is to actually say on a political level, if you were tearing down a black woman in public, there's something wrong about your politic. There's something, there's something out of alignment um, with your revolutionary perspective. And it needs to be, um, it needs to be educated, right? When I think about political education, I'm like, oh, something has something is off when we think we're in a movement space where that's an okay to behavior to, to look at the black women who turn themselves inside out to find more resource to give to movement and they get treated like a wash rag at the end of the day. And I will say that for my platform, I'm only interested in using it to uplift, right? I, if you look at what I post on my pages, I post things that feel solution or like, it's like, here's the solution. Here's an action you can take. Here's something joyful. Here's something pleasurable. Here's something that can remind us that humans are good because so much of what else you're going to see today is going to make you doubt that we deserve to exist. <laughs> and mm. we have... I think it's a legitimate thing, right? We are on the precipice as a species of whether we stay or don't, right? Like everything, so not everything, but so many things in our behavioral choices move us towards extinction. And those of us who are like, I think that we could still live. <laughs> I think we could still be a species on this planet. Like some on some level, that's the conversation that we're actually in is, um, do we believe that we deserve to be here? Do we believe that miraculous includes us? Do we believe that we can find a right relationship to this place? And my boundaries on the internet are very much like, I'm only on here to try to move us towards life. If I get a sense that that's not what you're also up to, I'm not gonna leave a lot of room for you. There's plenty of room for you to be elsewhere, but not, not in my space. Um, and then I, I do feel prolific in this moment. So, you know, in the sense I'm like, oh, like I have a lot to share. I have a lot to say. Like during my sabbatical, I felt very inward. Like there's nothing to say. Everything's already been said. Everything's already known. People just doing what they do, right? 
now I feel like, no, there's some things I want to share. And I know that that comes and goes. So um, I hope that I hope that I can use my platform for good as long as I have it. I also don't feel super attached to it lasting forever. You know, like I, I definitely feel like there might come a time when I'm just like, I just want to write fiction books and fiction and social media don't go together <laughs> in my experience. I'm just like, <laughs> I need to immerse myself in a different world. Um, and so then I might get off of the internet altogether or I might only, you know, just do tarot and music or something, you know? Yes. Like I, I feel like, um, I will say this, maybe this is the last thing. I actually don't, I think that so many people are trying to use social media to move political conversations that need to be had in relationship that do not actually work mm. at the scale of social media. And so then I think we get, we hurt ourselves and we hurt each other, um, not because they are not legit questions, but because they're questions that they actually don't hold up without having relationship to undergird them. So right. you have to be in a relationship where you can say something that might be ignorant or foolish or confused or, um, you know, early in your learning process. And the internet is not that. And so people continue to try to do that. And so you see stuff happen. I see it happen all the time in my comments where I'm like, here's something beautiful. And someone's like, but what about you know this? And then people find themselves down like a 20 comment thread yelling at each other. And I'm like, y'all, it's just a cute octopus. Or, you know, like, like <laughs> you know, but, but I'm like, which isn't to say that you don't have some conversation that needs to be had but y'all don't know each other. There's no tether that you can pull on to pull each other closer in this moment, right? Everything right. is performative one-upmanship and that doesn't get you anywhere but solitude. So one of the things I tell people often is like, if you're struggling because you're trying to have a debate online, make a smaller circle or figure out where you can actually have that conversation. And that was the mistake I made when I first, first, first published this piece is I was like, I intentionally published it on my blog as a whole thing. And I was like, please read the whole thing. And then I <laughs> fucked up my own thing. And I brought, I tried to bring that politic excerpted into social media. Cause I was like, y'all, I want you to read this thing I wrote, right? I want, I want people to engage with it. And it was a huge mistake. I think that was one of the bigger mistakes I made with the, with, was trying to bring that into the social media space where then suddenly people are arguing with strangers about something that's actually really, delicate. And mm. now as, as the book has come out, you know, I'm like, I don't need a bunch of online conversation about it. I hope that people sit down with people that they are in relationship and in political home and in movement with and have intimate conversations about how do we feel about if one of us was to cause harm to each other, how would we want to be treated? How would we want to be held? How do we need to be um, called in? How long do you think it would take us to recognize we were wrong? How would we need, you know, like who in our community could hold us? Like what are questions we want to ask ourselves before we attack someone who's a part of our membership? Um, those kind of questions. I'm like, you should have a, create a protocol for yourself. And what conditions would we cast out one of our own if there mm -hmm. are those conditions? And there may not be. And what I'm, my goal is, ultimately that we get to a place where there are not conditions in which we would cast out our own. But not everyone's gonna be there, but at least having that conversation helps us understand like we have articulated abolition as our goal, 
And here's what we are practicing right now in order to be in alignment with that. Yes. I, yeah. I love all these questions. I love them so much. James and I had a conversation around the limitations of social media politicking. Like, you Hard. know, that, that's what your pol political home is for. But, you know, in, in an era where so many people are, are looking to social media as their primary sort of political home, which right. it, it cannot be, yeah. we we end up in all these cycles. Yeah. And um, anytime, anytime I'm like, I say this for social media and I say this for nonprofits. They're like, if your political home is funded by a wealthy white person in some way, that's not actually your political home, right? Mm. That's a container that has been created. Twitter is a container that has been created. It can be turned off at any point by a bunch of wealthy, wealthy white people who determine what gets done and not done in that space. Same with Facebook, same with Instagram, same with even WhatsApp, and right? So to really always be thinking, who owns this house? Who owns this territory? Who owns this land? Who does this belong to? I think of it as a decolonial practice, right? If we talk about decolonization, how do you get back to land that actually can hold you, right? How do you get back into a relationship with some container that can hold you? And if you look at indigeneity, right, as a practice worldwide, globally, what you see is there's scale. The scale of tribe is actually like a legitimate scale that has been practiced all over the world. So in that way, I'm like, then what do you, when I think of like, who is your tribe or tribal scale of your relationships that you actually can be accountable to? They can actually know you, right? And yeah. I'm like, maybe you can find pockets like that somewhere online, more power to you, but make sure you're tending to what happens offline, that if the internet disappeared tomorrow, your political life would not disappear. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you so much, Adrian. I I know we're we're on time, and I'm yeah. curious as we as we <laughs> invite this new year. Mm. What are your top longings? What are you dreaming of? Ooh, I'm dreaming of making a lot of music. Mm. I'm longing to sing and write songs that others sing and like just be in a musical endeavor. And um, I'm really longing for the success of the book that I'm going to release in the spring. Um, it's called Holding Change, The Way of Emergent Strategy Facilitation and Mediation. And I think um, it really is like pouring out almost everything I know really know and have learned about how to hold change in individuals and groups. Um, so I'm really hoping, and when I say success, not like sell it, but I'm hoping that people in movement pick it up and feel like, ah, I can really, I can really hold some shit now. Like this is really, like I can really fucking hold some shit right now, right? Cause I'm tired and all the facilitators and mediators I know are tired. And this has been, I mean, just getting through this last four years alone has been such a Herculean task. Um, and so we need so many more people to awaken the part of them that can hold others. So I'm really praying and hoping for that. And, and then at the collective level, I'm hoping that, like there's so much work to be done, but I'm hoping that we can really rest. Like I'm really hoping that we can understand surviving this last four years was um, really, really immense lift. And so while there is work to do, a ton of work to do, 
I'm also hoping that we can really give ourselves room to like, you know, at the somatic level we talk about, you need room to like actually shake out the, you know, like after you have sped and raced away from someone who was actively trying to murder you, you have to stop and let the trauma of that complete itself so that you can move forward in a more intact whole way. And I feel like we need to do some of that at a collective level. It's like, we did not surrender. We did not give up and we did not disappear. Let's take a breath and then let's keep fighting. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adrian. Deep gratitude for you. Sending you, you all the rest. Thank this, you. I'm so excited. Hard. I'm taking a break. <laughs> yes. I literally wearing my Christmas, my this is the new <laughs> podcast Christmas sweater like all day. Like just like it's time. It's time for me to be on a break now. <laughs> I love it. So, yes, we deserve I celebration. Say hi to yes, yes, yes. people. All right. Bye. Yes. Thank you. Bye.